This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and you're listening to The Mindful Experiment. This is your host, Dr. Vic. Excited to have you on today as we are um, interviewing a wonderful individual who I think shares and helps individuals really the lost art of intuition, which really helps you connect how to tap into it, how to become aware of it, and so much more. I had a really great time interviewing Marcy as we, we dove into a lot of different concepts, listening to her story and so many great nuggets, life nuggets that were shared in this episode. Uh, Marcy Moberg is an intuitive coach, a healer with a passion for reconnecting sensitive souls to their forgotten intuitive nature and the unseen guiding realms of life. She empowers big-hearted, empathetic people to stand in their power, trust their intuition, and live their truth. Marcy's work includes mentoring individuals and groups to develop their intuition, to navigate life's transitions with purpose, create authentic relationships, and realize their true potential. 
She's a teacher of the Intuition 101, the life-changing course on practical intuition development. Marcy has been featured on the Huffington Post, Reader's Digest, Bustle, and is a contributor on thriveglobal.com and lifehack.org. Marcy has been interviewed for her expertise on News 4, WUSA 9, and News Channel 8 in Washington, D.C., and many podcasts. Prior to Marcy, she spent nine years traveling the world as a conflict, conflict resolution expert for USAID. While there, she completed her master's degree at George Mason University and doctoral, doctoral work coursework in conflict analysis and resolution, fulfilling her desire to more deeply understand the human mind and behavior. Despite achieving much of the American dream, Marcy felt deeply unfulfilled and developed faced several health crises. This sparked her spiritual journey that led her to leave an unhealthy marriage, reclaim her intuitive gifts, and discover her purpose. After years of inner healing, she worked up the courage to resign from her tenured position to follow her dream of working full-time to transform people's lives. Today, Marcy has reached thousands of people through consultations, weekly classes, workshops, trainings, and speakings, and much more. As I said, this is a fun interview. I'm excited to have Marcy on. I don't want to take any more of her thunder. So guys and ladies, this is Marcy Moberg. Marcy, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I, I think uh, you, you, you do a lot of great stuff when it comes to people with intuition and so much more. And I think that's a lost art um, that we have as humans that we don't focus on as much. Yes, I 100% agree with you. Absolutely. <laughs> so this, this brings me to my first question then. And it, like, how do you think we've lost our intuition? I mean, where, where did it all begin or how did it happen? Well, it's a long history of that, I suppose. But I, I do think it's a, I think that part of what happened for us was over time, we started to really value the rational and intellectual side of ourselves as humans. And that's a beautiful side. It's so, you know, powerful and problem solving oriented and a lot of great advances uh, have come from the intellectual side. But if you really look at some of the greatest advancements in human civilization, they really started from a place of intuition. So a spark of insight, a spark of inspiration, you know, and from there, then people used their, their intellect to pro propel forward that inspiration and translate it into action, into reality. So over time, I really think we overemphasize the rational side of ourselves and we've gotten disconnected from this more receiving, listening, perceiving uh, self that is our, what I would say is the other half of us. And we are both human and spirit. So if we think about it in that way, I like to think of intuition as a little bit more plugged into spirit and the rational side, a little bit more plugged into the human side. We equally need both sides, but because we have valued the rational intellectual side of ourselves so much, then the intuitive side has, has gotten pushed out over time and has also honestly become delegitimized, I would say, in, in many ways. That kind of spiritual side of ourselves has, has, seen, has been seen sometimes as less than or back, backwards or we've outgrown that kind of thinking. We've outgrown the need for practices to tune into that side of ourselves. But really, you know, I believe we need both for wholeness. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's, it's, I'll get into the neuroscience side of things. I'm always like, you know, left brains, that, that, that rational thinking, right brains, the intuitiveness, and you got to have both of them. Mm -hmm. What do you think about when it comes to, you know, not trusting, you know, not trusting or following our intuition, how much of that has to relate to the lack of trusting ourselves, uh, believing in ourselves or a lack of confidence in ourselves? Does that, did that play a role at all? Do you think when it comes to intuition? Oh, absolutely. 100%. I think it plays a big, a big, big role for us. Uh, I believe that because we have, you know, a lot of societal pressure, we have a social conditioning that's reinforced now in this modern day and age through things like media and technology and messaging and, um, you know, publicity and things like that. We, we, we have certain messages imparted to us consistently over and over again that has slowly over time I think without people realizing it eroded our self-trust so you know one of the first things I look at with people is when they are seeking guidance when they are seeking clarification when they have a curiosity do they always turn to uh you know for some personal questions, do they turn to Google, reading articles, reading all this information from experts first, or do they tune into themselves first? And I think at the root, the majority of people often don't tune into themselves first because of precisely what you're bringing up. There's a lack of self-trust. Some of that has been conditioned into us. We you know, have these messages that other people may know better than us, um, then goes back to our family conditioning, what happened with our caretakers, what's our relationship with authority growing up, and how did that perhaps weaken our sense of trust inside of ourselves, and then our own life experiences that can relate to that. And then on top of that, you could also put in there, honestly, ancestral patterns and uh, past life experiences. There's a lot of layers that can go, go over and derail our self-trust that then therefore erodes our sense of uh, tuning in and connecting to that inner knowing. There's a lot going on there then, in other words. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, I, I knew when I asked the question, I was like, there's going to be a lot to come out of this. And yes, there is. So, <laughs> you know, one of the things I hear sometimes is, you know, some people say, well, you're gifted to be intuitive and I'm not gifted or I don't have that that gift is it something that we all have or is it something that you have you, you know just some have and some don't I do believe we all have an intuition and we all do have intuitive gifts I believe it's actually our birthright to access that part of ourselves and it's a matter of again just like what I was saying with trust there's a lot of layers to it right so it's a matter of just like somebody with a a natural talent for math or music, um, you know, those things can be, there can be kind of natural talent for that in your genes, in your family line, you know, in your own kind of personality, the own, your kind of old, your own soul makeup. So some people may already have like a, a natural talent for that. It may come easier for them um, just like anyone else. But the difference is, is that, you know, like with math, I like to give that example. Everyone can do math. If you learn it, we can all do some kind of basic form of math. And then there's some people who are super talented with math. They just get it. It comes easily for them. And, you know, those folks move on to calculus and then maybe become rocket scientists and they understand very, 
very complicated calculations because they have a natural talent for that. But when you get to the basics of it, everyone can do some form of math. And I would say it's the same way with intuition. Everyone can, can connect into intuition. It's just a matter of um, propensity, natural talent, and practice. You know, how do we learn math? We learn it through a lot of practice. How do people excel in mastery at math? It's a combination of more practice and maybe a little bit more ease and talent for them. I love that analogy. I think that's a, just a great way to explain, like, you, anyone can have it. You just got to practice and do the work consistently with it. Mm-hmm. Um, totally agree with you on that. When it comes to intuition, I know, we're, you know, in this day and age, I know, as you're sharing, we're very rational. We depend a lot on information. Um, yes. More, would you agree, right? More outside ourselves than, you know, what we tap in within. Yes. Do you think that you know, when it comes to like, like the big thing nowadays is like social modeling, which social media plays a huge role in that where we keep hearing things and this is how things are. And we create this expectation and then it creates this own like conscious experience. And then that becomes that experience. Kind of like the human collective consciousness, in other words, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the point I'm trying to get at is, do you, do you think that with, um, I'm losing my train of thought now. It will come back. <laughs> oh, intuition. So with intuition, do you think that it's it's hard for people to want to depend or like to tap into it because or trust it because everyone has like their their own unique experience with intuition? Like it's not a, a cookie cutter, yep, this is how intuition speaks to you. This is the way it does it. Or maybe it is that way. Uh, if you don't mind sharing, how does... How do people start to understand or feel when their intuition is kind of coming through and speaking to them? Yes, I love this question so much because I think that what holds people back a lot is exactly what you're describing. There's a lot of, I mean, and it's not unique to intuition, right? We could we could literally replace the word intuition with entrepreneurship. We could replace the word entrepreneurship with, you know, some other field in someone's life, art, artistry. Um, And we have a lot of comparison. And so because people are constantly comparing themselves through spaces like social media, then that can really erode people's actual lived experience and trusting that. So I would say it's a combination of both. One is that I do believe intuition, we have to it does take practice, I would say, to decode, you know, like I teach people a lot about how do you decode and understand how intuition is speaking to you, because it is different than the rational mind, you know, the rational mind works in a very linear way. And it's kind of like nice and metaphorically neat sentences, you know, like there's a subject, there's a predicate, there's a period, there's commas, like that's kind of how the rational mind works. But the intuitive side of us is not like that. It is nonlinear. It's kind of, uh, I would say, a lot more trickling. Like it, the, the message trickles in. I, I always say intuition speaks in long, spaced out sentences. And so in order to really understand that language, we have to learn it in a different way. We have to understand what does intuition look like through my body? What does intuition look like through my my senses. What does, what do signs and synchronicities uh, mean to me? You know, so for example, I see this happen a lot for people when they, I do a lot of work with people on dream work or um, kind of understanding decoding signs and synchronicities in their life. And I find a lot of people, you know, may have 
for example, an encounter with an animal and they have the encounter in the animal. Um, you know, like for me, one of my first encounters on a consistent basis with cardinals. And so, you know, we saw cardinals kind of on a consistent basis. And I knew that there was some sort of strange meaning because it was just too uncanny. It was like, I was seeing cardinals and times of the year I shouldn't and places I shouldn't, uh, they were getting really close to me. And so what often happens when somebody experiences something like that is they go to Google, to dream dictionaries, to symbol dictionaries, et cetera, you know, which they have their place, but to be honest, it's more important to go within and go, okay, what is this, what's happening for me? What, what else am I noticing in my experience that may give me clues to what this is about. And for me, that situation was that I came to learn that a cardinal was actually my grandfather who had already transitioned to the other side. And that was his signal whenever he wanted to try to communicate with me um, was I would just see cardinals. And now it's at a point where if I'm not like tuning into him because he has a message for me and I'm not paying attention or I've decided I'm too busy that day, I literally will have a cardinal like sit outside of my window and make a noise that sounds like a phone ringing and I'll start laughing and I'll know like, okay, grandpa, like you're calling on the cosmic telephone to talk to me. So people really need to take, take time to decode it. And it, it takes time. It's not something that's kind of clear and straightforward. It's through a lot of trial and error. And in the same time, I would say there are some similarities. So there is some commonality around, you know, how intuition works. For example, like that situation with the cardinal, intuition works a lot in repetition of signs, in repetition of strange encounters, that that can, those are meaningful coincidences that intuition can speak to us through. So that's a commonality, but the specific, right, is in a unique decoding of our languages. Okay. Cardinal for me means my grandfather, but a cardinal for someone else may mean something entirely different. I love that. And uh, the, <clears throat> the story and how you do share that and the difference between it. It's kind of cool how sometimes uh, when family members or friends transition over and they come back or they try to nudge you in ways. Like for me, it's a butterfly that reminds it's a, it's my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it happened to my, like literally when my grandmother passed a month later, a butterfly showed up at my parents' house and literally went on my dad's hand. Yes. And, and then three months later, I'm hiking in the Smoky Mountains and there's this big, beautiful blue. And, I, and it's funny, it's blue because blue catches my eye because it's one of my favorite colors. Mm. Beautiful, big, beautiful blue butterfly. And it just kept following me and my wife for probably about, I don't know, 20, 30 yards and then all of a sudden I said, let me stop. Something told me to stop. I stopped and it went right on my shoe and sat there probably for a couple minutes. Mm, and so, beautiful. and it's funny, but again, I, if I just looked at it from the linear perspective, it's just a butterfly landing on my shoe. Yes. Right. But from an intuitive perspective, when I tapped in, all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, this, why am I feeling my grandmother's energy? Why am I starting to see images of her? And that started, the, then I started putting two and two together. So one question I love to ask them, when did you start to, because I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, children are very intuitive naturally. Yes. Right? They're, they're connected up into a certain age, around seven years old, and then they make that switch over to the more logical side. Were you always intuitive and open to it, or was there, when did it, or were you always connected to it, or was there a time where you kind of disconnected and had to reconnect? 
Yes, I love this question. And you're exactly right about children. Children are just genuinely like plugged into their intuitive side. They don't really have to think about it like we do as adults because they don't have the same kind of conditioning overlay of their natural experience of life, which includes the intuitive side. So as a child, I was extremely intuitive. However, because I grew up in a family and in an, in with, with family and family members and friends and the people that are around me didn't have language for what I was experiencing. I think that that makes a huge difference when you don't have language and context for what's happening for you. Um, then you don't really fully understand it. And so when I was a child, you know, I was very, very deeply connected to animals that has since come back to me as an adult. So as a child, I was very deeply connected to animals and very strongly could communicate with them. And I used to have, you know, tell the story that I used to have cats. They would just like flock to me. (laughs) Now I'd walk down the street and neighbor's cats would like come down the driveway. And it's like this weird, uncanny connection that I had with cats, despite the fact that I didn't have a cat at home and I was very allergic to them. Um, But I had this very uncanny sense of like, we understood each other and I could communicate very easily with them. I had that with insects. And, but again, what are the messages that we receive as children? That's make-believe. That's make-believe, right? And so over time, as I kept hearing things like that's make-believe or the a pivotal moment for me actually was when my great-grandmother passed. Before my great-grandmother passed, I had a premonition, a knowing that she was going to pass. I was young at the time. And I told my parents, I was, I was, I remember waking up and I was extremely frantic. It was a school day. And I said like, we need to go see grandma. And my parents were completely confused. Like, why are you getting so, so emotional about this? We need to get you to school. Let's get on with our day. We can see her in the weekend. And I just kept insisting like, no, we have to go now. We have to go now. We have to go now. Um, well, we didn't go now. <laughs> we, we didn't. And that next morning, my mother received a call. And I knew that, I knew that she was going to be passing And I knew that it was important for my mom to be there because my mom and her grandmother were very bonded. And so I knew that that was pivotal for like my mom to have a certain level of closure is the best way I can describe it. And I just knew this at a very young age. That's a lot to hold as a child. And when you don't have adults that can explain what's happening for you, and then the next day you get a phone call that the relative you knew was gonna die, died, that's confusing. Did I cause it? Um, am I tapped into something bad? Like, is, did I do something bad to know this information? You know, because I'm still formulating at that age, like I'm still formulating what is death. Right. (laughs) So that, that's what happened to me. So that moment was really, really pivotal for me because I remember feeling a lot of fear around having that information and having it become true. And then from there, Uh, through, you know, things like Hollywood and TV shows, things that were unexplainable, unseen, spirit related, were considered scary, terrifying, evil. You know, you think of movies like The Sixth Sense and Poltergeist. And so over time, I just started getting a little bit 
afraid of the fact that I could know so much uh, without knowing why that I could really, I could read people really well. I could sense what people were feeling and thinking. And, um, and much of this also, I, I realize now as an adult, after coming back to this and reconnecting to my intuitive gifts and, and my own process, I think a lot of people also who have an experience, a, a history of complex chronic trauma, which I did, also develop a lot of intuitive gifts because we, when you experience a lot of traumatic events, you, you leave the body generally as a, as a kind of defense mechanism. You generally disconnect, disembody from yourself so that you don't feel what's happening. So as a child, I actually got really good at that. And that's how at a very young age, I, I was very plugged in to the unseen. Um, but because of the conditioning that I mentioned, I got really afraid of it. So I got afraid of it. And then I learned over time that I could get accolades in, in school and I got a lot of, you know, I, I received the message that because I was intellectually smart and successful, that that was success and worth, right? And that that was value. So when you receive this polarized message, like that's make-believe or evil or scary, but this other side of you is you know worthy and deserves celebration and gives people around you pride then you start investing in that and that's what I did I became very very much invested in the intellectual side of myself and it you know helped me achieve a lot academically and so then over time I basically moved into a place of denial so that later in life when intuition would have it <laughs> that I reconnected to, you know, was introduced to things like energy medicine and Reiki. Uh, I was like a complete non-believer by that point. I thought it was complete nonsense. I thought it was a lot of kind of metaphorical sleight of hand. And I was very, very resistant to it. So for a long time, I was a skeptic, just like railing against anything like that, that would come into my experience. But over time, honestly, it just kept like a haunting almost, to be honest, like these experiences over time started to just follow me again, like a child, like they just started coming back to me and they started coming back to me so obviously that I could not deny what I had previously known without question as a child. So then I had to move through a phase of what I would call the reluctant intuitive. <laughs> I was very <laughs> reluctantly intuitive. And then that took a long time to eventually then embrace the intuitive side. Because after I finally started saying, okay, I think this might be real, then I had to overcome the obstacle of, well, are people gonna think I'm crazy? Are people going to think I'm like some tin hat wearing woman on the street with a neon sign, you know, like, and avoid me or, you know, I, I just was really petrified of that. So it's, it has been a very difficult journey, to be honest, um, because that I fought every step of the way, especially as an adult to get to this place. I mean, when people talk to me about my career path. This is honestly the last thing I thought I would do. It's the last thing I would have wanted to do. But now that I, I teach people intuition and intuition is part of my everyday, I would never want it any other way because it, it is, it is who I am. But 
because of how, because of my, my past and social conditioning, I got very, very disconnected from that because it's not what was valued. I love you. Appreciate you sharing your story because I mean, it's very similar to mine in a, in a lot of ways. Mm. And, um, you know, but was it like one of the things I want the listeners to grasp is that, you know, you, you, you started knowing you were, you were there, you had your intuition, you had it all. And then you had social conditioning kick in. Mm-hmm. And did you, what, when you were coming back to being who you were, I think that's, you know, I forgot the quote. It's not the most nicest quote, but it's, um, uh, I think children, children come in pure, but humans, uh, adults damage them or something along those lines. Um, not phrasing it properly, but it, what it means is, is that we come in in the pure state of who we are, but then it's, there's the social conditioning of the world of the time we come in and family and all those things that you were mentioning earlier that kind of taints and just and, and, and minimizes our, our light uh, of who we are and starts to pull us away. And I think it's a journey of life trying to come back around to where we started in the first place. Would you kind of, cause would you say that it was kind of like your story? Yes. <laughs> and a long, a long journey to come back around. It was a long, painful journey to come back around because boy, was I just petrified to be myself, to be honest. I just was completely petrified. And after I finally had the courage to leave my tenured government job to become a coach and healer, I still at that point had framed my work as something that felt more palatable. Like, you know, I, and I do have expertise in stress management. I do have expertise in conflict resolution. So that's really how I build myself. That's how I, I framed my work that my work was focused on, you know, really reconnecting people to joy, but you know, as usual, being the reluctant intuitive, I am, I was rather this, the, the intuitive side of me just kind of kept haunting my sessions. So I would have people that would feel just really, really safe with me. And they would say, I don't know, why I feel compelled to tell you this, but I had this dream or my grandmother passed recently and then this and this and this happened to me, or I have this reoccurring experience when I'm in meditation and I don't know what these images mean. And it, it's like, I couldn't, I couldn't keep it out. And so over time, I, as I slowly trusted myself, I allowed my intuitive gifts and my intuitive work to infuse my coaching and healing work. And then I saw people were having dramatically better results than the folks that I was trying to kind of do the more acceptable, conventionally acceptable, quote unquote work, you know? Um, And it just got to this point where I was like, you know what, I'm doing a disservice to people. I'm doing a really big disservice to people um, by not allowing these gifts to really flow through me. And I need to just kind of metaphorically let my freak flag fly and just allow it. And what's the worst that could happen? I'd already gone through a lot at that point. It was kind of like, what's the worst that could happen? And, and in fact, the best that could happen happened. Um, my, my work got more successful and I've just felt so much more free. Isn't that an amazing feeling? Yes. You, know, you, you break through those barriers and you, you, you get to that part and then you're just like, man, Oh, this is what life's really all about. Yeah. Um, you know, what was it? You know, I have a couple of questions. One is going to be, 
how, well, let's go to this first, because we talked about this a couple of times. I want to really help you know, have the listeners kind of go through this. How do you undo the social conditioning that we have all been programmed in some way, shape or form? Yeah, it is a process. I like to call that process shadow work, um, which is, you know, taking a term from the psychoanalyst Carl Jung, this sense that just like our physical shadow follows us around, we have a shadow of our psyche, the unconscious side that is really, I would say, this interwoven woven fabric of exactly what we're talking about. It's this subtle way that different people's, other people's beliefs and ideas of who we should be, who we shouldn't be, what's true, what's not true, gets infused inside of us without even realizing it because as children we don't really have this at a certain point we don't really have like this this uh, filter because we rely on our caretakers for safety and authority and all these different complex layers around that then we start deferring deferring ourselves and our truth towards other people and that means that usually over time um their ideas, some which may be helpful, some which may be extremely limiting, get infused inside of us. And so I really think it's important to take stock of what's, what's really playing inside of our minds and question it. And it's a very, um, that's a practice. Like it, it takes consistent practice to do that. You know, I often find that it's been very common that people will come to do one-on-one work with me. And I'll never forget this one time where this person was clearly speaking from their intuitive self in session. They were talking about this very clear vision that they'd been having for a long time of where they were feeling called to take their life path. They were feeling called to relocate cities. They were feeling called to make some lifestyle changes. And it's been, it had been a message that had been coming to her for a long time. And it was interesting because in the middle of the session, it's like the voice switched. And then all of a sudden this very fearful, limiting, but that could never happen. And that would require this many resources. And it was, it was like, I was literally listening to a different radio channel. And I stopped her and I said, Hey, um, you know, you know, tell me a little bit more about, you know, this, this trait of thought that you just had. And as we started to explore it, uh, I said, you know, is that your, you know, have you recognized how much space your inner critic is taking up and how it's continuing to come in and like erode who, whose voice is that? And it was really interesting because in that moment she said, well, it's mine. It's my intuition. And I said, "Hmm, that's, that's kind of interesting to me, but her, that experience, I would say, is very telling of many of our experiences. That was my own experience. I heard everything, you know, metaphorically inside of my head as the same radio channel, the same stream of thought, sounds the same. So, you know, if it's coming from inside of me, it must be from the same source, must be intuition. It's got a lot of energy around it. Well, let me take a, you know, step back and, and look at that. And so I think it's really important to kind of take stock of what's happening inside of our minds. And I will recommend people literally, you know, write things down. What do you know to be true? Write it down and then read it out loud to yourself and figure, you know, explore how does it actually feel in your body? How does it feel in your body? When this person would 
you know, when we kind of whittled down the statement of what that limiting voice was saying inside of her, it felt very constricting. And then it was no surprise that when I had her read it out loud and we reflected on it, that when she really got clear that that voice was actually not her own, that voice with her father's. And so it's this slow process of like pulling out those pieces. And it's, you know, we can't, it's not a process I believe that you can most of the time at the beginning just do inside of your head. You know, you can't just really like sit inside of, sit on a meditation cushion and just like look at all your thoughts. It's a little too hard because you're a little bit too close to it for too long. So I do think things like writing it down on paper or audio recording yourself and then listening back and, and try to see if you can kind of put on the hat, like change hats of being sub instead of subject being researcher. And you are kind of like curiously exploring the research subject, which is, is your own mind and noticing, you know, whose voices really are these and how do they feel in my body? And maybe, maybe you don't have clarity at the beginning that this is your dad or it's, it's, it's a kind of a, general mantra of society that doesn't feel true to you. Maybe, maybe that's hard at first, but at the very least you can notice, how does it feel in my body? Well, if there's a lot of tightness and constriction around that statement, that truth, that's interesting because I see that as your system closing off from it and repelling from it, which means that maybe it's not entirely yours, or maybe it's an older version of yourself that you've outgrown and it's time to let go of that. So I really think you have to kind of sort through those pieces step by step, bit by bit over time to kind of metaphorically clear your internal box so that your your intuition is not trying to talk over a room of like a thousand people. That's pretty cool. That's a, it's a, and for the people listening, it's not something that happens. It's not a quick fix. It's not a short term thing. Yes. As you were sharing, there's a lot behind it that has to go on to kind of take, remove or uh, reprogram or however the terminology is chosen um, to get to that state of breaking through. Yes. Um, when it, when it comes to the, I'm losing my train of thought again today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. Um, when it comes to the process then of like, you know, being a long process, a lot of people will hear this and they're like, I, I, I know if you've ever experienced it, like I'm ready to go. I'm ready to break through this. This is something I need to clear out. I want to break through. I want to be released from this. And I want the freedom. And then they look for like a quick fix instead of taking time to go into that shadow or that darkness or the dark, whatever it may, may be to really sit there and learn and grasp and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, people who take on quick fixes, in your experiences, how does that limit them rather than help them expand uh, awareness and and growth and and, and those types of things? Yeah, I think quick fixes are really popular because we are a culture that's extremely impatient in a modern day where you can Google anything. I mean, thank you, Google. I love you for that, but also (laughs) 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 limiting because we are very impatient and social media is impatient. So it's like instant gratification. 
So everybody wants a quick fix. We want to get from zero to a hundred in two seconds. And my experience is to really authentically ground your intuition, to authentically be grounded inside of yourself, to have long-standing sustainable change. So it's not something that you change and then like six months later it changes back. Something that you change for good takes time. So when we're doing, we're focusing on finding to grow, trying to grasp a quick fix, I really think we limit the potential of how our potential of how we can grow. Our, we, we limit, we kind of cut ourselves off actually from our fullest potential because my experience is quick fix lead to a quick hit, like a quick win, a quick moment of momentum, and then an inevitable repeating of old habits. And that's really painful. Yeah, especially over a, a long, repetitive, repeating period of time. Which, yes. <laughs> I think that's the true meaning of suffering. Um, totally. You, <laughs> I mean, you just keep doing it and you're like, come on, wake up. This is what, see the pattern here for a second. No, I totally agree. I think sometimes too, how much does a, do you think avoiding pain or avoiding discomfort, you know, in our society and culture plays a role in some of that of like going deep into it rather than just let me get out of here as quick as I can. Oh, so much, <laughs> so much. Yeah. A hundred percent. So much. I mean, we're wired, right? I mean, we're biologically wired to avoid suffering and pain and to seek pleasure. And, you know, we kind of know that from a survival perspective from neuroscience. And we know that from ancient teachings from the Buddha, that we kind of, the mind is naturally oriented towards pleasure and avoiding pain. Um, so I think it plays a huge role. People think, you know, well, if I just stay at this surface, then I don't have to, uh, you know, I don't have to then experience a lot of pain, but my, my sense of really the free, like a lot of people are seeking many things, but if I were to kind of boil it down, I might say that the closest thing that most people are seeking is freedom and belonging. And those pieces don't come from shortcuts, true freedom and true sense of belonging to yourself comes from, you know, the dark night of the soul. <laughs> it comes from um, descending metaphorically into the underworld and resurrection, resurrecting, you know, that, that process um, is what's really necessary. It comes from, you know, in the, in the, in the tarot, it comes from the tower card, you know, that your tower of yourself has to really come crumbling down in order to then come to the other side and drink from the well of the water and the star card. So it's, it's really the sense, you know, we see it played out in so many myths. We see it played out in so many spiritual teachings. And the reason why that's emphasized so much is because true awakening, true freedom, whatever folks are seeking, that true sense of feeling at home with them inside of themselves, that sense of wholeness, it really does come through walking through the darkness. You know, I realized for me that became really clear many years ago where I kind of dedicated my life for one whole year to walking into the fires of my fear 
is what I say. And so I had gone cross country, had lived in a Buddhist monastery, was pretty sure at that point that I was going to become a Buddhist nun. So I shaved my head in dedication to that when I was driving back cross country. Intuition would have it that I ended up in this tiny house and this cabin in the mountains of Arizona. And while I was there in meditation and just kind of sitting silently with nature, I heard this question spontaneously spur inside of me that said, what are you choosing if you become a nun? Well, that to me was pretty obvious because I had thought about becoming a monastic of some form for a good chunk of my life. Um, And then the next question that came was unexpected for me, which was, what are you not choosing? And the, what are you not choosing when I got really honest with it about it, everything behind it was fear. So what I was not choosing was fear. Well, that wasn't so, wouldn't seem so obvious because for some people, you know, living a monastic life, living as a ascetic, uh, living in the, in the forest would seem like a very hard life for me because of my temperament. That's actually easy for me. What's actually hard for me is being in this world and not of it in a sense, like being the, being the, the mystic among people metaphorically and so when I knew, when I heard that, I knew that my practice had to be leaning into fear and that, and, and so I spent one whole year literally doing everything I could find that I was afraid of <laughs> from online dating after having come out of a, a domestic violence situation in my past to um, more, more mundane things like a fear of heights and getting into rock climbing. But for that whole year, I really... I had leaned into my, my darkness and discomfort at times in the past, but for one whole year, I just leaned like all the way in as an experiment. And I was so surprised by how at the end of that year, dramatically different I felt as a person. And from that point forward, I kept going. And honestly, the hardest thing is to just get started. The hardest step is to take that first step to lean into the discomfort and, you know, you don't have to be crazy and like me, I'm <laughs> my, you know, myself is kind of, you know, is a very, uh, my, my parts of my personality in my past have softened over time, but were quite intense in, in the past. And so I, I liked really kind of intense experiments like that. I used to do a lot of fasting and see what would happen. But what I do say is that, you know, if you just lean in to a little bit of discomfort in a way that feels doable for you and stretches you just slightly, you'll be surprised by how much you can grow from that. And you don't have to spend a whole year of leaning in full time to discomfort like I did, but you can try in small increments. And then over time, your ability to be with that discomfort stretches and you'll notice, wow, these quick fixes that I used to turn towards that are maybe, you know, maybe healthier than maybe my old quick fixes, like turning towards food or substances or binging Netflix or something like that. Maybe they're better coping mechanisms, but they're still maybe coping mechanisms and not healing mechanisms. I love it. That's uh, a very powerful story that you're sharing. And can, you know, one of the things that came to mind was, is, you know, cause some people again want to, you, you have to go and deal with this type of stuff to truly get the freedom and so forth. When you made those choices, they go against your fears and, and made it a whole year commitment, which I commend to you. 
what was, <laughs> what was, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I live, I, I live by a, a code that says, I mean, I try to do it every day. What makes me uncomfortable, do something that makes me uncomfortable every day. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. It's a little hard to do. Um, cause sometimes in my day, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, when I just go keep looking for something, but, but when you, when you faced your fear, what was on the other side of that? It was so, so much uh, sense of freedom and side of myself and spaciousness. I had so much more spaciousness and clarity. I mean, clarity around what is my truth, what is not my truth, what matters. It's something I still do. I mean, it's not it's not like, um, this I think is another illusion that we one day quote unquote arrive, you know, we like climb the summit and then it's just the end of the summit and that's it. And you're at the summit the rest of your life. And that's just not my experience. If you're interested in growing and I do think we came to earth for the purpose of growing and learning. And so uh, I continue to practice this discomfort. I continue to notice where are there conversations that I know I need to have that feel really terrifying. Uh, you know, whether it's with my partner or my family or a friend or a client or a business partner, whatever that is, or a neighbor, like something that I know in, in my inner knowing that I need to have that conversation, then I have that. And that whole year taught me that if I stay open and curious, things can maybe turn out different than the script of what fear says. And sometimes it turns out like how fear says, but when you lean into it, it's not as painful to be honest. It's not as painful. So when, you know, this happens for people a lot in relationships, when, when you have this sense of, yeah, well, but if I, I don't know, if I put myself out there into the dating world, I'll, I'll experience heartbreak. Yeah, you, you might. But when you experience the heartbreak, going forward with the clarity that you're feeling pulled to explore dating or explore a partnership, and you experience the heartbreak from that place of clarity, it feels very, very, very different. Because you were starting from the beginning aligned fully in your truth, regardless of that voice of fear. I love that. <laughs> I just love it. It's, all, it's so true. Now, one last question I have before we dive into some other stuff really quick. Hmm. We talked about intuition. How does intuition speak to you? Intuition speaks to me in a lot of ways. Intuition is, <laughs> intuition for me is like, it's, it's my whole life now. It, it, when I started kind of, when I started leaning into it after I recognized it, it was a very intentional thing. And for me now, it's kind of like the fabric of how I experience life. So intuition speaks to me a lot through dreams. I have a very regular dream practice. I believe dreams are one of the most undertapped areas of our intuitive selves. It's, it's a real, I've learned so much and I've experienced so much healing from my dreams. So dream work is something big that I do. I experience intuition through signs and synchronicities on a regular basis, through signs of 
animals or plants or, you know, repetitions of things. I, uh, intuition speaks to me through just a sense of just pure knowing. I just somehow just know something. And I finally, for the most part at this place, most of the time when I have just a knowing, I generally trust it. It took a long time to get to the place of trusting those knowings. So now that I generally trust them, I receive a lot of information through knowing where before I experienced a lot of information most of the time externally. And I think that that's because I constantly needed signs to trust the inner knowing. So now I'll generally have a lot of inner knowings. Um, I will get a lot of information through my body, through, through body sensations. I will get a lot of information that way I will receive, um, I'm very, I have a very strong inner sight. So I get a lot of, um, my knowing from my intuition through inner sight. So when I sit down in the, in, to meditate in the morning, um, I see a lot of images and I allow those images to unfold. And so usually when I sit down in the morning in my meditation practice, it's usually consists of some kind of guidance or information from my spirit guides, from my ancestors, from loved ones who are on the other side who are here to give me messages. And I will have a kind of internal dialogue with them through that space. Um, sometimes smell. Uh, sometimes I get information from smelling. So that has been one that's come up on and off where someone will let me know that their presence is here through their smell. That's, that's a very common one for me before relatives pass. I usually smell them. Um, or if somebody I know needs, uh, needs to connect, I will usually smell them. Um, what else? I think the, the, I mean, there's, there's others, but those are the ones that are strongest for me that show up the most, I would say. As I say, there's a lot of tools there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When I, I, a long time ago, I, I, I went to, what opened me was I, I went to this workshop, um, that was led by someone, a senior teacher from one of the yoga lineages that I've been connected to for a long time. And in the workshop, I was, you know, 100% convinced that I was going to be really embarrassed because she was talking about some things about intuition and different and kind of like psychic gifts. And I was just there to be curious, but I was sure that I was going to be the person in the room that knew nothing about what she was talking about. I was very convinced that everyone there was way more intuitive than me. So she went through the clairs. Um, and so for your listeners, that's like the, the inner the inner senses, we have outer senses, like our five senses, and then we have the same thing on an inner plane. So we have sight and then we have inner sight. And she started a workshop by asking questions related to the inner senses. And when she started, she said, you know, I'm just gonna make some statements. You just raise your hand if you've ever experienced these things and let me know if this is if this resonates with you. And then I thought, oh, great. Now I'm really going to be embarrassed because I'm not going to raise my hand at all. And I remember feeling like trying to make myself small, trying to kind of scooch out of the circle, like towards the back of the room. because I didn't want people to stare at me like, what's wrong with Marcy? Why doesn't, you know, she practices all this yoga, but she's not intuitive at all. And to my complete shock, I raised my hand for everything. And then the opposite was happening and everyone was staring at me. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed and I'll never forget the whole rest of the workshop. I can't tell you anything she taught because I was just in shock. 
And I think she could tell that I was so rattled. And she came up to me afterwards and said, yes, you are very intuitive. And I said, what are you talking about? (laughs) And that's my experience as it happens for a lot of people. That's why it goes back again to not having, when you don't have language and context, you don't know what you're experiencing. And so for me, I do experience intuition through all my senses and through all these different portals on a consistent basis. And I, I always had been, but I didn't know what was happening. So I didn't know why I would smell, you know, a loved one as if they were standing next to me or why I would be sitting in meditation and I would smell incense. Like it would make me choke almost. Cause it was like, felt like somebody was sticking an incense stick up my nose. It was so strong. And I, I didn't understand that those uh, that those were intuitive experiences because in my mind, what happened was in the movies where you would like physically see something appear before your eyes and, you know, much more kind of material than subtle. So true in so many ways. And I, I can so relate to the experiences you had where you're kind of like not thinking you are. And then all of a sudden somebody just kind of awakens you or nudges you in a way. And all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, this is, I, this, that's what it is. Holy cow. I didn't know that. That's what it was all my life. Man, this makes more sense. Yes. So um, real quick, I would love to hear what are you uh, up to nowadays? Your classes, courses, anything you have coming up that you want to share for the listeners? Yes. I have my life changing practical course on intuition development called intuition 101 that folks can take. It's a foundational course that um, is very popular and, and has got a, little, a lot of really great feedback and has served as a big light bulb moment for a lot of people to recognize how intuitive they truly are. So I take people through a journey in live classes. So it's not pre-recorded. It's live classes that we do together and, and we have a supportive community. We have an online space where we uh, commune together and can ask questions and people can share and there's homework practices between and I walk people step by step by step by step through a process to start to decode their intuition to start to awaken their intuition and then to practice it on a consistent basis to continue strengthening that muscle because it is a muscle and so the more that you can practice it and take your your intuition metaphorically to the gym, (laughs) it strengthens and it becomes a lot easier so that I find that people over time, like what's happened for me, when you practice it consistently, it just suddenly becomes second nature versus something you have to do. Um, So that's what that course is. And folks can find out about that on my website at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I, Moberg, M-O-B as in boy, E-R-G as in George.com. I also have some workshops on there, like shorter workshops that folks that are can benefit from and purchase in my shop. There are some shorter workshops there about how do you know the difference between fear and intuition? How do you create healthy boundaries? Because healthy boundaries, I believe, is like one of the number one obstacles to connecting to our intuition and also a piece in there um, also about how we can trust our intuition when we're in relationships, because I find that in the space of partnerships and romantic love, 
intuition can get eroded a lot because we don't want to hurt feelings or we have different patterns that make us override our own inner knowing. And so how do you actually stand in your inner knowing in that space so that uh, you are able to really build authentic relationships while authentically being yourself. So folks can find all of that on my website. Awesome. And everyone for the listeners that will be in the show notes. Um, Marcy, this was a pleasure. I, I greatly appreciate having you on. I love all that you're up to. And I think what you're doing is a really vital for humanity as a whole to reconnect back to our intuition, our, our, our deeper uh, sense of knowing. Thank you so. so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation and um, so delighted that you are making such an important platform for people. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.